This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca coming to you from PNC Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina, site of the Rangers and the Hurricanes. And boy, has this become a big game for the Rangers when you consider everything that's happening in the Metropolitan Division. The Islanders have lost four in a row. We just get word that Bjorkstrand's going to be out for the next eight to ten weeks for Columbus because of a sprained ankle he suffered against Philadelphia last night. And with all the injuries that the Blue Jackets have had, they can ill afford to lose one of their best healthy forwards going um, through the rest of this campaign. So when you look at Florida loses again as they fall, giving up a late goal in regulation to the Panthers, uh, to the uh, Kings, the Panthers are kind of in free fall here. So, you know, the Rangers, the Hurricanes, teams that are, you know, battling for playoff position, I think still have hope. And, and the game tonight, a big four-point swing here. Rangers going for the sweep of the four-game series during the course of the regular season. And Carolina trying to get a win here at home. And then the Rangers have the second of back-to-backs as they'll play against San Jose tomorrow at Madison Square Garden and then set up a huge game out on the island on Tuesday versus the Islanders, a team that right now is on the outside looking in for the playoffs because of the tiebreakers. And it's really getting interesting as we get late here in February. But now it's just a war of attrition, right? Uh, how healthy can you stay, and then who stays and who goes for the trade deadline coming up on Monday? And that's all anybody will talk about here with the Rangers. Will Kreider sign? Will he get traded away? He's only been their best player. He was dominant in the third period on Wednesday in their 6-3 victory over the Chicago Blackhawks. So a lot of decisions to be made. Uh, we have not heard any official word, but if you read the tea leaves, it sounds like they're working hard to get something done. But once we get to Monday... You're going to get a point of no return. But I look at it this way with Kreider. He's been so important to this team, right? That I think if you get to the 11th hour of the trading deadline and you feel like you're close to getting a deal done, then you keep him because you'll have that exclusive window to get a deal done before July 1st. You can keep one of your best players to try to make a playoff run, which I think is each day goes by becomes more and more realistic. And I've got a bet with Leah Hextall, who was on the podcast on Wednesday, a bottle of wine. I think Kreider stays. She thinks Kreider goes. I could talk to 10 people today at the morning skate, and five would say he stays, and five would say he goes. So that's kind of how up in the air it is right now with the deadline. We did see a deal today between the Bruins and the Ducks. Of course, the Ducks in rebuild. The Bruins trying to see if they can't find maybe a final piece to the puzzle. So Andre Kasha goes to the Boston Bruins. He's a nice young player, seven goals, 16 assists, and 49 games with the Ducks this year. But he is a nice piece to add to a Stanley Cup caliber team and the Boston Bruins they give up David Backus who really didn't have a place there in Boston um Anderson really didn't have a place Axel Anderson goes and a first round pick goes in the draft but you know Boston doesn't care Boston's hoping that's going to be the 31st pick in the draft because they're trying to win a cup and Kasha's got another year left on his contract so if he ends up having a good year you know you've got him a good young player he's only 24 years old going for next year so I think it's a good deal for both teams uh the Ducks get a first round pick uh, they get a couple of players that um can help them down the road Backus obviously would be an expiring contract at some point so I think that's a good deal for both teams as we're starting to see um a chance that uh, the Boston Bruins are going to try to keep up with Tampa, who finally saw their 11-game winning streak come to an end as uh, they lost last night 
uh, for the first time, and it feels like forever. Again, 11 straight wins going into that game against Vegas, and Vegas picks up the win by the final score of 5-3 to three as Alec Martinez. He wreaks benefits immediately for the team as he joins the team, has a goal and an assist in his debut for Vegas. So that's a big win for the Golden Knights. And now Tampa, who had a chance to catch Boston, misses that opportunity because of the 5-3 to three loss in Vegas. We mentioned Philadelphia wins in overtime on a Kevin Hayes goal. They beat Columbus Bjorkstrand now out for the next 8-10 to 10 weeks. So he's done pretty much for the rest of the regular season and deep into the playoffs. So that's another blow for Columbus, who's played a ton of games. I mean, you got to pay attention now when we get to this. This part of the year, part of the year, of how many games teams have played. You know, right now Philadelphia's got that three seed in the Metropolitan Division, and you look at the wild card teams. Columbus has the second wild card with seventy three points. They did earn a point in that overtime loss to Philadelphia. Carolina, who plays tonight, has seventy two points. The Islanders have seventy two points. Florida's got seventy. And the Rangers have 66. And let's not discount Montreal either. They've got 64 points. They had a big overtime win over against Washington where Alexander Ovechkin did score goal number 699. So now he's just one away from getting to 700. But here's the problem for Montreal. Last night was their 63rd game. They have only have 19 games left. So they've got a lot of work to do with not many games to play. The Rangers have 59 games played, the same as the Islanders and the Hurricanes. So they're in pretty good shape. They still have six points to make up on the Islanders and the Hurricanes, but they've played the same amount of games. Florida has 70 points, but Florida's only won three times in their last 10. They've played 61 games. So the Rangers, the Islanders, the Hurricanes have two games in hand on the Panthers. So even though the Panthers are only two points out of a playoff spot, they've played 61 games. Same with Columbus. They've got the first wild card. But last night was their 62nd game, so they only have so much time left to be able to um, hold on to that, which means teams are going to have to make up ground like you look at the Rangers. The Rangers have three games in hand on Columbus, and they sit seven points back. Rangers win those three games in hand. All of a sudden, there's just a one-point separation between the two teams. So that's why you got to pay attention to the games uh, in hand because that is going to be very, very important as we go down the stretch of the season. Same goes in the Western Conference for Arizona. Arizona has the same amount of points as Calgary, but they're on the outside looking over the playoffs. They played three more games than Calgary. The Coyotes have played 64 games. They only have 18 games left in their season. So the Flames right now have one more win. Uh, and they've got two less row wins, but it doesn't matter because they've got three games in hand on Arizona. That's why Nashville is in good shape. Nashville's three points out, but they've got two games in hand on the Flames, and they also have five games in hand on Arizona. So the Coyotes are in really bad shape because of the fact that they played so many games. So they're going to put themselves in a situation with the few games that they have left They're going to have to go out there and try to win them all to not only uh, see if they can't catch uh, some teams in the Pacific Division, but just make the playoffs in general. So it's been a tough slog for Arizona. Just four wins in their last ten. They've lost two in a row. And, oh, by the way, their next game is going to be home against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who's one of the best teams in the NHL. So things starting to fall apart there in Arizona. So that makes things kind of scary. So we're kind of caught up on what's happening around the National Hockey League. So I guess it's best to kind of jump in here on a Friday with the top five of the week. Don LaGreca's Friday Top Five. You know, I really struggled this one because there's a lot of teams that you can consider, but what's interesting with um, Tampa losing, they're, they're the only team that's got any kind of a significant winning streak 
Vegas has a four-game winning streak, but they're 12th in the league. I can't put them in the top five yet. Boston will be in the top five. They've got a four-game winning streak. But otherwise, you know, got St. Louis with two, Dallas and Colorado with one. We haven't seen anybody on any really significant runs that are up top. You know, Winnipeg's won three in a row, but they're they're way back to be considered one of the top five teams. So there's a couple of teams that, unfortunately, I'm going to have on the outside looking in. You know, a team like Philadelphia is knocking on the door. They're in eighth place overall in the NHL. I got them on the outside. I've got St. Louis on the outside. But one of the teams I have cracking the top five is Pittsburgh. Number five. You know, the Penguins are getting healthy. And with the plus 38 goal differential, that's the fourth best in the league. And they've just been outstanding at home, 22-5-4. and four. They've won six of their last ten. They've had points in seven of their last ten. They've got a winnable game coming up against the Buffalo. They did lose their last game, but I think they deserve to be uh, in the top ten. Excuse me, in the top five. They're third best in the league, and they have... Two games in hand on Tampa, two games in hand on Boston. So if they win those games in hand, Pittsburgh is right in the conversation as the best team in the NHL. Number four. You know, if they can keep Ronton and healthy, I would probably have the Avalanche higher. But the Avalanche, I have them at four. They've only played 59 games. They've got a plus 44 goal differential, which is third best uh, in the NHL. They spread it around nice. 16-9-5 at home, 18-9-2 on the road. They've won six of their last ten. They've got points in seven of their last ten. And even though Grubauer is out, from what I hear, they have not reached out to the Rangers for Henrik Lundqvist. So they seem to be very comfortable with their goaltending situation. Grubauer is day-to-day anyway, so there's a chance that he can come back. So I've got Colorado cracking the top five at number four. Number three. God, you go back to the beginning of the season, and I kind of put myself out on a limb. I said, I think Dallas can come out of the Western Conference. And boy, did that look foolish in the first month of the season when the Stars just couldn't get out of their way. And then the Montgomery controversy where he gets unceremoniously fired. Well, there Dallas sits right now as the sixth best team in the NHL. They've won seven of their last ten points in nine of their last ten. I think they're the third best team right now in the league. And they've survived the injury to Radulov as well. Ben Bishop has been terrific for them. They were top-heavy last year, but you're starting to see them become a little bit more well-rounded. I think this is a team that can contend with the Colorados and St. Louis in the Central Division, and I'm going to stick with my pick of them coming out west, and I think that they are the third-best team right now this week. Number two. So you know the top two teams. It's just a matter of who gets placed where and I think Boston still is number two to me although they have been absolutely terrific nine of their last ten they've won four in a row and I got to see them firsthand on Sunday when I called the game against the Rangers and they certainly had a lackluster performance remember they had played the day before at home against the Detroit Red Wings so the Rangers were a little bit more well rested but boy can they defend when you're talking about a team you think of all the things that that are going for the Boston Bruins right now they've got the second best power play they got the second best penalty kill they they are right now tied for the best goal differential in the National Hockey League. Okay, They've got the most wins at home of any team uh, in the NHL. They've got 17 wins uh, on, the, um, on the road. The only negative thing you could say about the Boston Bruins is they can't win in a shootout. They're 0 for 7. Otherwise, this is a team that would probably be running away with the league as it is. They've got a three-point cushion, but I've got them at number two because of who is number one. Number one. Yeah. 
I'm still going to keep Tampa at number one, even though they lost to Vegas. But you're talking about a team that had an 11-game winning streak. You're talking about a team that has two separate 10-game winning streaks. That just does not happen. It's also a team that has won 20 games at home, 20 games on the road. They lose Sorelli. They lose Stamkos. They lose Kucherov for a game. They still find ways to win. Uh, as long as they keep Hedman healthy, Vasilevsky has probably on his way to another Vesna Trophy winner, a very underrated coach in John Cooper. And again, the shame of the stupid format is is that Tampa and Boston will probably play in the second round of the playoffs. So the two best teams in the NHL, one of them is going to be out in the second round, which I think is ridiculous, and I wish the NHL would find a way to change that. But that's where we stand right now with what's happening with the top five. All right, let's close out the week with your tweets at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. Sam Diaz says, who's your colder winner at this point of the season? Despite missing a month, um, I have Olofsson slightly ahead of uh, Hughes and McCarr, but they're close with uh, Kubalik at fourth. Well, you know, Kubalik's got 25 goals now, so he has to be definitely uh, in consideration. But when you consider Hughes kind of coming out of nowhere, I think... It's so tough, but it's really between those four. But if Kubala continues to score goals the way that he's doing, and he ends up scoring 30, he might find a way to win that award. Uh, His top five of the week, he's got Philly uh, at number five with a um, consideration to the Jets this week, because the Jets have won three in a row. He's got Vegas at four, Pittsburgh at three, Tampa at two, and Boston at one. Troy, do the teams in the Pacific have a better chance in the playoffs since their race is so competitive, or will this cause them to collapse by the third round to fatigue? Well, somebody's got to come out of it, right? Because um, unless a wild card team wins, it's most likely going to be you know the team coming out of the Pacific and against the team coming out of the Central Division. I'm kind of a believer that um, when you play a lot of playoff games at the end of the regular season, meaning like you got some teams that are kind of sitting there stale. You look at last year with Tampa, right? They knew they were winning the, the division. They knew they were going to win the President's Trophy. They were by far the best team in the NHL. And then Columbus had to fight, didn't clinch a playoff berth until the second-to-last game of the regular season. And some credited that sweep to Tampa on the fact that Columbus was just more ready to play because Tampa was going through the dog days while the Blue Jackets are playing so many important games. And that may be a benefit to some of the teams in Pittsburgh uh, in the Pacific Division that they are going to be playing playoff games a week or two before the playoffs actually start. Um, It's a grind for sure, but you do get a little bit of a break when the season comes to an end. I I think it's more of a benefit. I wouldn't sleep on any of these Pacific Division teams. I don't think they're good enough to win cups, but hey, surprises do happen. We saw that last year, so when you look at a Vancouver, when you look at an Edmonton that is going to get healthy, I mean, there's going to be no Connor McDavid tonight, but they expect him back soon. Clefbaum's going to be back in a couple of weeks. Cassian's going to come back from his suspension, so are those players going to be a little bit more well-rested because they didn't play a bulk of the games in February, but it'll be interesting, but uh, I still probably go with the Central Division, but just because they're better teams, not because the Pacific will be beating each other up in February and March going into the playoffs. Uh, Tom says, top five teams to watch this week. Number five, Chicago. Uh, now selling. Leonard, uh, Gustafson, uh, yeah, there's a chance that Chicago's going to be selling. Uh, I think even though they're still mathematically alive, I didn't see a playoff team on Wednesday against the Rangers. It's pond hockey out there. Leonard's been a nice story, and I think there's a place for him to go. So I think this team's got to think about the future, and they should make uh, some trades for sure. Number four, the Islanders, does Lou believe in this team enough to add scoring? Well, he's going to have to add scoring, right? They go on a four-game road trip lost all four games in regulation, and scored three goals. So they need scoring. 
but I might take a lot of Islander fans off. I don't see a championship caliber team. I know Washington's kind of going through the motions right now, and the rain, the um, the the Penguins are, I think, the best team in that division. And even though the Islanders swept Pittsburgh last year, I don't think that's going to happen again. I don't put the Islanders on the same level as Pittsburgh and Washington. And right now, they're just battling to make a wild card. Philadelphia has just been a better team as of late. The Rangers have been a better team. I think that's going to be a great game coming up on Tuesday. I just don't know if going out and getting a Tatar, going out and getting a Pajot, is going to put these team over the top. There's still a lot of hockey left to play. It's John Tonelli night tonight at the Coliseum, and they're going to be playing a, the the worst team in the league in Detroit, so a chance for them to get back to their winning ways. But I'm not sure there's a move that's going to put them over the top. Number three, Montreal, does Kovey get moved? I would think he would. We just told you Montreal's played 63 games. They're not making the playoffs. I can see Kovalchuk being a nice fit, even with uh, the Islanders. Uh, number two, he's got the uh, Colorado Avalanche, all that cap space to add a top six with Ranton and out. Good. And, of course, number one, Kreider and Hank. The more I hear, uh, I don't think Lundquist is going to get dealt um, until the off season, if that. So I don't think um, Hank is going to go anywhere. Kreider, I'm starting to lean towards him staying. Christopher says, hey, Don, thank God it's Friday. Do you think? What do you think about Kreider to Boston? Boston needs another goal scorer, and Kreider might be an extra motivated to play in the city where he played college hockey. What return might the Rangers get if that happens? Thanks. Well, Boston just gave up their first-round pick, which would have been a late first-round pick anyway. I'm not going to put Kasha on the level of Kreider, but I think now that Boston's made this Kasha deal, I don't think they're going to be trying to go for Kreider. Uh, Jim says, should the Sharks fire Doug Wilson? With Eric Carlson's contract and subsequent loss of the 2020 first round pick combined with the um, miners left the team in a terrible place for the next several years. We need your insight on this. Well, I will tell you, I've brought this up before. I've liked the Sharks for a long time, and, and I know a lot of people there, and I'm going to get a chance to see them tomorrow at the Garden, so I'll be able to kind of snoop around and see what the situation is. You fired so many different coaches, and let's face it, the firing of Pete DeBoer flat out did not work. All right. So when you fire coaches and you don't get a response and you see a team that's starting to get old, Wilson's been there a long time. Like, who's next to go? Right. I mean, obviously, you fired Pete DeBoer because you felt that you had a team good enough to be better and to make a run. And if anything, Bugner, who I think is a good coach, hasn't been able to change it. You're hearing that there's a lot of problems with inside that room. What's left to do if you're San Jose? They're, they they look to me to be in rebuild now anyway. Um, I would definitely start to think that uh, maybe Doug Wilson's job could be in jeopardy. Forever TH says, someone floated a rumored trade about Carey Price to the Avalanche on Twitter, which was false, but could you see the Avalanche trying for him, and what would it take? It's a lot of money, but they got cap space, right? They have cap space. That's gonna take. That's gonna take everything. I mean, even though the Canadians aren't going anywhere, if they're gonna be trading Carey Price away, they're gonna have to get a mint in return. And you have to ask yourself, if you're Colorado, is it worth giving up all that for a guy that has never won a cup? Now, listen, there's circumstances why he hasn't won a cup, right? His injury in 2014 in the conference final against the Rangers. Um, he's been a consistent playoff contender, but when you look at the runs, right? Um, his injury in 2014, when Montreal went to the conference final in 2010, it was Yaroslav Halak and not Carey Price that was the goaltender. He won a championship with the Bulldogs in the AHL. If Colorado thinks that he's the piece and they're willing to have him and bring in that kind of salary, then you do it. But you have to ask yourself, is Carey Price 
going to win a, a Stanley Cup with the Avalanche. I, I, I think he could. I think that Avalanche team is good. And I, and I, and even though I, I've kind of complained on this podcast that I think sometimes Carey Price is overrated, I think he would make the Colorado, the Avalanche much better. And I think you'd have a chance of possibly winning a cup. So if you feel that way, then I think you might have to do it. Let's see. Uh, uh, Lee says, why is the NHL marketing strategy so backwards? NBA succeeds because it promotes its best players as individuals and leans into the drama and soap opera of the league while the NHL makes it all about the team. When will they learn this is supposed to be entertainment? Well, here's the problem, Lee. And uh, Lee's a verified account, so he's a, he's a big fan. He's got a lot of followers and very opinionated, and he's a big hockey nut, and I think he asks a, a, a tremendous question. All right. The NBA is so much different than the NHL, I can't even begin to imagine how to explain it, but I will try. All right, It's easy for the NBA to market their superstars because a superstar like LeBron James or a, a Lillard or a Kyrie or a, um, a Leonard, whatever, those guys play 43 out of 48 minutes. They're on the court constantly. All right, They're very recognizable. They don't wear a helmet. Okay. They don't have any kind of equipment on. They're very recognizable. It's a small surface. It's perfect for television. It just reeks of being able to promote your superstars. All right? And if I go to a game involving a star player in the NBA, I know I'm going to see that player. If I take my son or daughter to a Laker game, I know I'm going to see LeBron James, right? I, I know I'm going to see him 43 minutes out of the game and even if he has a lousy game he's going to dunk he's going to take a three-point shot he's going to do something to make the crowd ooh and ah and that's something that's very easy to promote you'll be able to see him Connor mcdavid to me is the best player in the nhl so if i take my kids to a ranger game against the edmonton oilers to see Connor mcdavid Connor mcdavid's going to play 20 out of a 60 minute game he's going to play around 20 minutes 18 to 20 minutes of a 60 minute game so he is going to be on the ice for one-third of that game. And depending on how that game goes, he may not do very much. Now, he might have a great game. He might go out there and score four goals and do some amazing things and have six points and have a game that you'll always be able to tell your grandkids you were at, or he'll have a very pedestrian game where he doesn't get a lot of shots on goal. The The Rangers bottle him up, and he doesn't do very much. It's kind of like what happens in baseball, right, where you get your four at-bats, and I go see Mike Trout play, and he strikes out three times. He gets intentionally walked the fourth time, and then what did you see? So it's hard to market the player. Plus, you know, Connor McDavid's easy to recognize, number 97, but he's got a helmet on. He's got equipment on. Um, you don't necessarily notice him on television the same way that you would live or the same way that you notice a basketball player on television. So it's hard to market those players. And plus, you say drama. Well, this happens at baseball, too. Sometimes there's just not a lot of drama because hockey players just aren't built the way the basketball players are. Uh, I find that covering all the sports, that hockey players are more introverted. Um, they kind of focus on their task. They don't get caught up in all this. And this happens with baseball players, too, is that they don't get caught up in the drama. They're kind of raised to not get involved in that. You know, A lot of them are Canadian boys, just want to skate and play. And because there isn't a lot of media attention, there's not a lot of using the media to kind of get back at guys. Yeah, there's drama. There's things that happen, especially in the playoffs. But there's not a lot of he said, he said in the NHL the way there is in the NBA. So when you say sell the drama, well, if there's no drama to sell, then how are you supposed to market it? So I don't think the NHL is being backwards. I think it's a team sport. 
and they market the teams and the original six teams and the popular teams. And yeah, they're doing a better job. We've seen more of Connor McDavid on NBC Sportsnet and on NBC. We've seen now they've branched out to put the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs in the Winter Classic. And I think that's a good idea too. The Stadium Series, the Heritage Classic. They're doing more to kind of expose some of the stars in the sport, but you can't market it like the NBA can. Right? The NBA has got a 15-man roster in which there's a rotation of eight, nine guys to play in the game. Hockey's got 20 guys on the bench, you know, counting the backup goaltender, and they're going to roll four lines, and you're just not going to get the exposure during the game that you do in the NBA. So you can fault the NHL in a lot of ways for maybe being a little stuck in the mud with the way that they market it, but I really do believe that it's kind of a crutch to say they're not marketing their stars. The game's just not built that way. Same with baseball. Baseball's not marketing their stars. How do I market Mike Trout? His games are at 10 o'clock at night. He gets four at-bats, and if the ball's not hit to him at center field, then he can't make a diving catch, right? Quarterbacks are marketable in the NFL. They touch the ball half the time. They're handing off. They're throwing. They're involved in every offensive play. But it's really difficult to do that in, in, in those three sports the way you can do it in basketball where the, the best players are on center stage for the entire portion of the game. And that exposure sometimes leads to jealousy and infighting and drama that get, can get market, marketed and sell. So I do think it's a little unfair to kind of go after the NHL for not marketing the stars. I just don't think the sport is built that way. Michael says, do you believe Lou will finally make a move for a top-nine forward by the deadline on Monday? He's going to make a move, um, but I don't know how significant it's going to be. Pajot is still out there. Um, we've mentioned Tatar is still out there for Montreal. Maybe he goes after a Kovalchuk, but again, I just don't think that's going to make that big of a deal because I just right now, unless something changes, I just don't think the... Um, New York Islanders are a Stanley Cup contender at this particular moment. But, hey, sometimes things change. Uh, I don't think a lot of people thought Columbus was going to sweep Tampa. I'm not sure that when we were talking in February that the St. Louis Blues were going to win the Stanley Cup. But that's why we watch. That's why we get into it. All right, a little long-winded today, but I'm in a hockey arena, so I'm excited about doing the game tonight. It's going to be on 10.50 a.m. if you're listening in New York because the Knicks are going to be on 98.7 ESPN. So, that game is going to be on 1050, so listen to it. should be a good one. By far the biggest game that David Quinn's ever coached in, so I guess it'll be the biggest game until he coaches uh, tomorrow against San Jose and then Tuesday after the deadline against the Islanders as the games are all of a sudden becoming very, very important for a lot of these teams uh, in the NHL. And before we say goodbye, we should also mention that it came down today. Zach Bogosian did not report to the Amherst of the AHL as the Buffalo Sabres wanted him to go down to the minor leagues, by not reporting, that voided his contract. And that's going to make him a free agent. Now, I don't know what he has left, and he's been injured, but he is somebody that's been around the block a while in the National Hockey League. So now that he's a free agent, team looking for a defenseman, it's possible he can end up somewhere in the National Hockey League before the season's over. So that's something to keep an eye on. So we've got a big week of hockey coming up for sure. Now, just to set things up, we are not going to do a podcast on Monday. Why do that with the trading deadline that day? Uh, we wouldn't be able to really do a podcast and then have it be dead if something significant had happened. So, and plus we lose EJ Raddick too on Monday because he's going to be at the NHL network for the trading deadline show. So we're going to shift everything to Tuesday. So the next time you'll hear the podcast will be on Tuesday. 
Tuesday, and we'll be able to recap all the trades. And then back on Wednesday with Leah Hextall. So EJ and myself will do the podcast on Tuesday, and then Leah Hextall and myself on Wednesday. As the next time we do a podcast, it will be after the trading deadline. All the players will be set and will be ready to go for the rest of the regular season and into the postseason. Want to get in touch with me? The best way to do that is at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. Back with you on Tuesday. This was the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct Podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.